Tonight we are going to continue our Wednesday night study. Um, the title of the study is Life Choices That Every Believer Should Practice. Uh, the, first, um, the first session we did was on authentic faith and sharing your faith. The last week we talked about spiritual disciplines. Um, tonight we are going to talk about boundaries, moral boundaries. <clears throat> If you look up in the dictionary, the dictionary says a boundary is a line that marks the limits of an area. The line that marks the limits of an area. Typically, you would kind of get that with property lines. You would think boundaries. People put fences up to set up a boundary. Um, And there are also boundaries that we set in our life. Um, Boundaries on the thought process of what to say no to, what to say yes to, Um, and, and there's a great book on boundaries. It's entitled Boundaries. Um, if you're looking for something like that, it's a Christian book. It's written by Dr. Henry Cloud. Um, it talks about all the kinds of boundaries that people should have in their life, um, like deciding what your schedule should look like and, and even other areas. But tonight, we're not really going to discuss all of that. We're going to talk about moral boundaries. Moral boundaries. Those are lines that mark your limits on your integrity and your character in, your, in regard to your relationship with God. <clears throat> Just to kind of throw this to you tonight so that you understand, this is a concept and teaching that I think is very important. And honestly, you might think that I'm a little strict, radical, or over the top on, on this tonight. Um, <clears throat> but in my experience in ministering both to teens and adults, this is probably one of the main reasons that people struggle with their faith is because they have not set moral boundaries in their life um, and in their walk with God. Tonight, I want us to start, we're going to look at the um, two lives in Scripture, one that set moral boundaries and one that did not. And the first one we're going to look at, you need to turn with me in your copy of the Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. I want us to talk just for a minute about the life of Joseph. Joseph was a guy who, if there was ever anybody throughout Scripture who had a reason to walk in with a chip on his shoulder, um, had a reason to go around like um, the world owed him something, it would have been this guy. Think about this. Your own siblings sell you into slavery. They were going to kill you, but one of them spoke up and said, hey, let's sell him instead. They sell you to a foreign country. You get to that foreign country, and God grants you favor there. And we're going to, kind of, we're going to talk about this. We're going to pick it up in, in chapter 39. Um, and we're going, to kind of, we're going to start in verse 1. And it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. 
The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in, in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one in this house, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. If you look at this passage of Scripture, here's a guy who has everything. Second in command of the house. He's got favor in, in the eyes of the Egyptian head of guard, a captain of the guard. And his wife notices him, and then he's faced with this moment of moral integrity. Do I just give in, or do I do what is right? And so I want us to look at, because if you just look at this and say, well, he just refused her once, you'll miss the moral boundary part. Because the moral boundary part comes a little bit later in that last verse I read that said, he, uh, day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He set up a moral boundary that would keep him from any kind of thought process of being with her. Does that make sense? Now, Joseph's story doesn't end in success here because, as we continue to read, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and then the household servants were inside. The wife had sent them all out. And she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. His integrity cost him his freedom. It cost him his job. And he went to prison because of it. But in prison, he still found favor in the eyes of God because he was doing something. He had set that moral boundary. He was living a life of integrity, had character. And so because of that, even though out of, he fell out of favor with Potiphar, he was still in right relationship with God. And because of that, God prospered him even in the prison and everywhere he went. Moral boundaries are important. We're going to continue that thought in just a minute, but now we're going to look at the other side. We're going to look at the, remember I told you the tale of two guys. The second one is found in the book of Judges. The book of Judges. His story actually begins, I believe, in Judges chapter 13. story about a name, man named Samson. Samson was a guy that didn't really set moral boundaries in his life. And in Judges, you, you'll read, as, as you continue to read, uh, Samson was a Nazarite from birth. If you look at chapter 13, verse 7, this is what 
happens. His, his mother is told that she's going to be pregnant. You become pregnant and have a son. Now then drink no wine or any other fermented drink or do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Nazarites had three things that they had to do, and they're found in um, chapter 14. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, in chapter 13. Not only was this for his mom, but this was also for, uh, would become for Samson. They were this. He couldn't eat anything that comes from the grapevine. Um, nor drink wine or any other fermented drink. That was part of the Nazarite vow. The other part of the Nazarite vow is that he couldn't touch anything unclean. Um, those would be two strict taboos that were told to him, do not do. The third one had to do with his hair, that he couldn't have his hair cut. Um, and God had blessed Samson with a life of great strength. He was a strong, wonderful um, warrior for the Lord because he was somebody that God had set apart for that role. Um, a judge back then was not somebody that we think of today behind the desk, guilty, innocent. A judge was a deliverer. It was somebody who delivered um, Israel out of the hands of the enemy. And that's what Samson's role was supposed to be. That's who he was commissioned by God to be. But as you continue to read the story of Samson, we're not going to read it all. Um, if you want to, it's in chapters uh, 14, 13, 14, and 15. You will see, and 16 is where we're going to go tonight, um, but you will see Samson begin to kind of test the waters, and he doesn't set up moral boundaries, if you will, limits, things that keep him from doing things that he shouldn't be doing. Matter of fact, if you look and begin to read that, you'll begin to see that Samson wasn't supposed to be involved with grapes or wine or fermented drink, and the first place that really we kind of see him is in the middle of a vineyard. Anybody know what vineyards make? So that's part of it. You continue to read on, and Samson comes, and he kills this lion. And then he comes back to it, and in the middle of the lion, some bees had collected and made a, a honeycomb. And so he comes in, and he dips his hand inside the lion, which in that day was considered unclean because you couldn't touch anything that was dead. So right, right off the bat, in the first few chapters that we read about Samson, what's he done? He has crossed the line of two out of the three things that God told him not to do. And then we get to Delilah. <clears throat> and um, this is probably one of the most crazy stories I think I've ever read. Um, <clears throat> it's about a guy who I guess was in love. Um, I'm not sure she was. Because, you know, we can play out the scenario. I'll do it for just a minute. He's sitting there and, and Delilah says, tell me the secret of your strength. And he tells her this bogus thing. Um, I, I, I can't, I'm not reading, but the first one, I can't remember if it was tie up with new ropes or whatever. That was one of them. He said, if you tie me with new ropes, then then I'll become as weak as any other man. And And... You know, he wakes up in the morning, and guess what? He's tied with new ropes. He breaks free, and and then she says, you deceived me. That's a whole other argument in my house, because if I told you something, and I wake up 
tied up in the morning. We have some other issues. It happens again, and, and he tells her something else, and the next morning he wakes up, same way. He frees himself. and You don't love me. You deceive me again. And I'm like, Samson, come on, man. Duh. And, you know, he didn't set up any kind of moral boundaries. He kept flirting with the fence. Kept flirting with the, flirting with the property line. And finally he tells her, hey, man, no razors touch my head. I've been a Nazarite since birth. And that's, if you shave me, my head, it'll be like any other man. And when Delilah, Delilah saw in verse 18 of chapter 16, when Delilah saw that he told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. This is the saddest verse, in my opinion, one of the saddest verses of all of Scripture. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I will go out as before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. He had pushed the limit of those moral boundaries in his life. Because he had pushed that limit, he had been constantly pushing and pushing and pushing, and he kept crossing one after the other after the other. And he broke all of the requirements of his vow, and God had left him. The saddest part wasn't just that God had left him, but he didn't know that God had left him. And he went out just as before. Crossing those moral boundaries cost Samson his eyesight, cost him his freedom. Now, God, if, if you continue to read on, God forgives. That's the awesome God we serve. And God uses Samson. Actually, he's mentioned in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in that hall of faith chapter. But it cost him his sight, and eventually it cost him his life. Tonight, I want us to, as we, as we keep those two biblical characters in mind, I want you to turn with me one last, to one last place of Scripture tonight, and it's found in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. Chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 13. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I want us to look at this idea of life in the Spirit, living holy lives. The, The passage there, there was a thing that you're in conflict with each other and you're not to do whatever you want to do. That's part of the idea of setting up boundaries. Let's look at some of these concepts to understand in this idea of boundaries. The first one I, I feel is this. Since we are called to live holy lives before God and men, boundaries are essential to accomplish that. First Peter says this. It says, be holy because I'm holy. If God's commanding us to be holy, the only way that we can be holy in our sinful nature is to set up safeguards or boundaries. The next one kind of continues on that line. Oftentimes, the more personal growth that happens in a person's life, the more strict they'll become with their boundaries. Idea is that the closer I move in relationship with God, the more I wish that I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to cross that line. Um, more ba- moral boundaries are safeguards set to protect you from falling into sin. If an individual is consistently growing in their walk with the Lord, those boundaries should be moving farther away from the sin that's in our life. I get discussions all the time about, well, what about this? I can't, if I could tell you how many times I've answered that throughout my life and minister. What about this? What can I do? How close can I get? Where's the line? Where's the gray area? You know, my response to that is usually this. Why do you want to live close to the line? Why do you want to live close in the gray area? I think we've got this misconception that if I live close to the boundary, it's more fun. It's a lot more exciting over there because then that kind of leads me to do what I want and I can kind of do some different things. And as long as I don't cross the line, I'm golden. Kind of reminds me of uh, a trip I took uh, to uh, Arizona. They had boundary lines that were drawn, um, even a fence there at the Grand Canyon. And you weren't supposed to cross over the fence, but the fence ended at a certain point. And there was an opening that you can kind of go around on this rock. And if you went around on the rock, then you could kind of look down a little farther, right? Well, I was young and stupid in that time in my life. And so I went around the fence, went around the boundary. And I got out there, and you're like this, and you're looking over. I never could get farther than, if this was the edge, I never could get farther than that. Because it was like a straight, 
<laughs> my heart was like, oh. and then you're like, back. The problem with this is that that's a danger I can see. That's something, if I get to the, too close to the edge, I can see, dude, you will die. And it won't even, it'll be a slow, painful drop. It'll be fast to the bottom. It'll be fast, but in your mind, when you hit, it'll hurt. And it'll be bad. And it'll be painful. And they'll be talking about you for ages at this rock. And there'll be a sign with your picture on it. It says, this guy was an idiot. He went past the fence. Don't go past the fence. And we can see the consequences of that. The problem is, in our spiritual life and in our spiritual walk, we don't see the consequences. We just see the fun that it is to try. And when we get closer and closer, then all of a sudden we lose our step and we fall and we don't and we experience the hurt and we experience the pain and we experience the difficulty it is to come back up. We may not die spirit, uh, physically, but we try to live our life too close to the edge. And anytime you ignore the boundaries that you should be setting in your life and you try to live too close to the edge and you go over, that sets you up to fail. Most of the people that I see living a consistent Christian life and they're walking and they're growing and they're getting their devotion time in and they're serving God, they want to stay as far away from those boundary lines as they can. The farther I can be away from that, the best I can serve God from back here. That doesn't mean that you're perfect. There will always be temptations to cross those boundaries. There will always be temptations to go. And sometimes, I'm just being honest, sometimes you'll come close to it. Sometimes you might go around it and get through it. But the cool thing is, is God's faithful to forgive. What happens is, when we change what, what has to happen in our life is that we change our focus from the boundary line and put our focus on Jesus. Because so many times, and, and this is another thing that I usually tell folks when they ask me that, well, how far can I go? What can I do? Where's that line? Your focus is on the wrong thing. Your focus is on the line when your focus should be on the Lord. The Bible says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, the less and less on the things and the permissions of this world, you'll find that that boundary will not be your focus. Your focus will be pleasing him. All right, um, next thought is this. Whatever boundaries that you set for yourself and your family, your kids will test. <laughs> Whatever boundaries you set for yourself and your family, your kids will test. Because they're going to go kick on the fence and see if it's going to hold. They're going to go over and they're going to take a look at it. And they're going to say, hmm, I wonder if this really means this. <laughs> And that's, there's so many things, and I couldn't list them all, but something like this, you know, from the movies you allow, um, to the language you allow in your home, to what you allow them to do, 
uh, with a boyfriend or girlfriend to where you go, to how you live, to things you allow, things you don't allow. The thing in our life we have to remember when it comes to our families and especially our children is that little eyes are watching you how you live your life. There's a song, a little kid song we teach the kids. It goes something like this. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Not only is the Father above looking down, the, little, the kids that are grandkids and kids that are looking at you are looking at, down at two to see what you're going to do to see how you're going to react, to see what you're going to allow. Um, and the thing I've noticed, and this is just an observation in American culture, if you will, what one generation allows and moves the boundary to, the next generation moves it farther. And then the next generation moves it a little farther. And five, six generations from where you started moving it, it's all the way over here when you started it way back there. Does that make sense? You understand know what I'm saying? In our society today, we kind of see that, don't we? We started moving the line generation by generation. And now, I mean, look where we are as a society today. If you don't set boundaries in your life and in your home, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, how to set moral boundaries. But if you don't set them in your life and in your home, you're setting your kids up to fail. You're setting your kids up to fail. The last one is this, and this idea of concepts. If we consistently keep crossing that boundary and push that boundary back, then the chances of us suffering the same fate as Samson are a very real possibility. That one day you'll wake up and life will just continue. And you'll realize something's different. And you'll think, I'll just go out as before, and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. But somehow you'll forget that God's not with you. Because you've already fallen. You've gotten too close to the edge. And you've slipped. And you fell. And you'll have to cry out to God for forgiveness and change your life. The saddest thing is that when people fall and they slip and they fall after having a walk with the Lord, they slip and they fall. You know, the saddest thing is sometimes they don't even realize. Sometimes they don't even get to the place. And, and then when they get down there, sometimes they get so bitter because, man, I can't believe God allowed this to happen. I can't believe I got down in this situation. And the reality is, is if we would have just been on the other side of the fence, we would have just stayed where we were supposed to be. That doesn't mean you're not going to have difficult seasons and difficult times. Joseph had difficult seasons and difficult times. His life was a story of difficult things that happened throughout his life. But if you'll look at him, he always kept his, his eyes on the Lord, and he didn't try to get close. He didn't operate in bitterness. He didn't operate out of hatred or anger or lust. He always kept himself away from the boundary. And as he kept himself away from the boundary, he found that God gave him favor no matter what place he was in. Whether in the prison, whether in Potiphar's house, whether in the Pharaoh's house, it didn't matter. God gave him favor because of where his focus was. And he remained true to those boundaries in his life. Any thoughts 
tonight. Okay, tonight here's the last part, of, the last section of this tonight is this. How do I set moral boundaries? How do I set moral boundaries? Well, first and foremost is moral boundaries must be set by the Word of God. We have no moral integrity in and of ourselves. <laughs> um, they have to be set by the Word of God. We are sinful people. Yep, I don't have my glasses on. So we are sinful people. That's what we are by nature. Sin is pretty, pretty clearly defined in Scripture. Um, the idea that we should have a Joseph approach and the same approach that Paul says to flee sinful desires. We've got to set our moral boundaries by the Word of God. And to do that, you have to be reading that word. That's that spiritual discipline part we talked about last week. Putting those spiritual disciplines in play so that you know what the Word of God says. And if you, as you learn what the Word of God says, you want to stay clearer and clearer and farther and farther away from where the boundaries that God has set up in His Word. It's not about how close can I get without going over. It's more about, this is not the price is right. You're not trying to get as close without going over trying to stay as far away as you can and maintain your focus. So the first place you find that is in the Word of God, and you set your life by that, what God's Word says. The second thing is this. You pray, and you listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about. You pray, and you listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about. Um, there's a passage of Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 14. And it talks about this. I'm summarizing this. If you want to read it at some point, I would encourage you to. But it talks about this. There are things that people do that aren't necessarily, quote-unquote, sins laid out in the Bible. In chapter 14, it was talking about eating of meat. And it was wrong. One, people, one person viewed it as a sin to eat meat. The other person viewed it as okay. And so what they were doing is they would... And, this is how I picture this. Maybe it wasn't quite this way at all. This is how I pictured it. They got a big, thick, juicy piece of meat, a big old pork chop, and they're just sitting there eating it in front of this guy. And this guy's like, quit it, man. That's sin. You're sinning. He's like, no, I'm not. Look at this. And he puts a bunch of barbecue sauce on it. And rah, rah. That's the way I picture it. I'm sure that's not the way it went down. <laughs> but the idea here is that there are things that the Holy Spirit will talk to you about that will be sin for you, that may not be sin for someone else. Now, I know you're going to say, well, give me some examples. Well, maybe there's a show that you're not supposed to watch. Maybe there's something that you're not supposed to do. Maybe it's a place that you're not supposed to go. And for you, that would be sin. Let me give you an example. There was a lady in a church that I youth pastored in. God bless her. Um, she knew every hymn in that hymn book. Every, almost every stinking one of them. Um, I'm not proud of this. God has forgiven me for it. I was the worship leader on Sunday nights at that church. And my one thing that I would do was try to sing such an obscure hymn that she didn't know that she had to open that hymn book to sing it. I succeeded twice in five years. This lady 
would talk to me about the idea that, you know what, I can't go to this restaurant and eat because they serve alcohol. I can't go to this store and shop because they serve alcohol. Now for her, she felt like God had told her that. She felt like that was something that was important to her, so she couldn't go and do that. Now for me, I have no problems with going to the grocery store or Walmart. They serve alcohol there. Matter of fact, today it would be hard-pressed not to find a grocery store where they didn't. Those are the kind of things I'm talking about. If it says it in this book, then you need to stay as far away from it as you can. But there are also some things that the Holy Spirit will drop into your heart that might be sin for you. It may not be sin for someone else. We're not to stand in judgment of each other is the idea of that passage. But by praying and listening to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, that's one way to set a moral boundary. Next one is this. How do I set a moral boundary? After researching the Scripture and praying, you need to take an assessment of your current life. Take an assessment of your current life and start to set the boundaries in your life. Let me give you an example. If you struggled with a certain sin prior to conversion, or maybe you continue to struggle with it after conversion, then that line should be set in a place where you don't come anywhere near it. If you had a problem with, um, well, there's so many different things that I could get into, but you had a problem with lust and pornography, then you probably should not have access to any kind of computer electronic device alone where you cannot have some kind of safeguard on it. If you have a problem with booze and drinking, then you probably shouldn't go sit at the bar and order food. You understand what I'm saying? Don't put yourself in places where it's easy for you to fail. Instead, put yourself in places where you you know that you're not going to compromise your integrity, and your character. Next one's this. Prayerfully consider an accountability partner. Who can Prayerfully consider an accountability partner who can help you maintain your boundaries. Someone who will ask you tough questions. Someone that you have trust in. A believer that you have trust in and know that they have your best interest at heart an accountability partner that you can say, hey, listen, I've been struggling with this. Hey, listen, this has been, and they'll ask you, hey, how have you been doing with that? And I've been doing great. Or maybe you could say, I have pushed the, I, I am really struggling. Those accountability people in your life, if you'll let people in, that's something we don't like to do. I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know if it's a pride thing. I don't know what it is, but that's something we typically don't like to do is allow people to see us for who we really are and to see it inside of us and be part of us and know us. And I understand sometimes when you put yourself out there, boy, there's a chance for you to get hurt. I get that. That's why you find you prayerfully consider and find somebody you trust. Got to be somebody you trust unequivocally. Um, I've got a, my best friend back home is somebody I trust with my life. If my life was in danger, I knew that he'd be the one I could go to. He's my best 
probably one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. God blessed me with him in high school, and we have stayed in touch this whole time. He's a believer. He loves God with all of his heart. I know whenever we get together, he can ask me those tough questions, and I can respond. Any, if I am going through something, I don't have to do, you know, because we all like to do this. Dude, how you doing? Oh, dude, I'm great. I'm good. I'm okay. Kind of the generalization thing but I can tell him if I'm really struggling and I know that he'll not only pray for me, but he'll hold me to the fire about it. We need those people in our life. That's what the body of Christ does. We like to call it, I think we call it grilling. We like to say, oh, he's grilling me. You know what he's really doing? He's really encouraging you. He's really building you up. He's really coming alongside of you and helping you grow that person in your life. Prayerfully consider an accountability partner. Next is this. Before you can expect those around you to have moral integrity and boundaries, you have to say, you have to have them yourself. Or what you say is gibberish. Um, The idea here is um, something I learned a long time ago. It's a phrase that always has stuck with me since I was in high school. What you do speaks so loudly that what you say cannot be heard. What you do speak so loudly that what you say cannot be heard. Finally, this, and I'll I'll close with this idea. This is talking about boundaries in your home again. And we'll kind of have some discussion, and then we'll kind of go from there. Create boundary expectations in your home through discussion with those who live there, and if necessary, those who visit. We have expectations in our home. We do. Our kids, if, if I had Caitlin up here tonight, she could probably tell you some of those expectations in her home. Some of them talk about how we treat one another. We treat each other with, with respect and love. If Respect's one of those things that if I give it, I'll receive it. So we treat one another with respect. Another thing in our home is this, we, what we allow in our entertainment choices. What, what we'll allow in and what we'll turn off and say no to. Um, we talk about what you can and can't do with friends. This is acceptable. This is not. If this person's going to be a joker, you're not going to hang out with jokers. <laughs> I know that sounds harsh, maybe, but that's just the way we do. That's the way we roll um, in our house. Why? Because I don't want to set my kids up to fail. Um, we talk about what you can do on your social media. On your computer, on your cell phone. As a matter of fact, some of you are going to think this is really out there. I ask, periodically, my wife and I ask for my daughter's cell phone. And here's the deal. You give it to us or you lose it. And So we take it and we go through it. We could ask at any time, so you don't know if we're going to ask. You don't have time to erase the stuff you got on there. So we'll ask, and we'll monitor conversations that you've had through text. We'll see who you're calling. We'll see um, when it comes to social media. I'm friends with my daughter on Facebook. I follow her on Twitter. So if she posts something, if she sees something, she likes something, I see it, but I still go through it anyway. Why? Because I want to teach them that boundaries are important. I want to teach them that 
if you'll serve God with all of your heart, if you'll go after God, the rewards are much greater than living your life on the boundary edge. So we do that. Um, whether it's in my, with my family or whether it's with guests, the language that's used in my presence and in my home, there's an expectation there. I'm not going to use that in my house. I think for too long, now I know I've preached messages on this and I'm not going to get real dramatic about it, but I think for too long we've allowed the devil into our home slowly and we've allowed him to creep in. We've allowed him to allow us to push that boundary line and to keep pushing it and pushing it. And what's happened is we've pushed it to the place sometimes where we can't get it back. And we've fallen. Or we've caused someone around us that we love to fall. That's why it's so critical that we monitor those things, that we expectations, we have expectations that we ask from our kids. We have expectations from them. But in those expectations, I can't just ask them to do something that I'm not willing to adhere to as well. That's hypocrisy. To live one thing and say another. And I'll say this. If people come into my home and they aren't respectful of our moral boundaries that we've set, there are consequences. There are consequences for my kids, consequences for my family. They just are. You know, we love you. We want you to be a part of our house. We want you to, when you come in, to be a part of, we, we want to celebrate. And if, if even if one of my family members comes to visit, you know, and they start the language or they start with other stuff, we'll give them a warning. <laughs> but then there are consequences. I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds crazy. But can I tell you, I value the integrity of my family and in my life. And if you really value it, you'll set those moral boundaries and you'll stay away. You'll enforce them and you'll stay to the place in your life where you'll focus not just on the boundary, but you'll focus on Jesus. Yeah, in Galatians, it talks us to love. One of the greatest things I can show my daughter that I love her is to check her cell phone. It's just the way we look at that. And I think God rewards us for setting those moral boundaries. Because if you set moral boundaries in your life and you fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll grow in your walk with the Lord. I think that's a principle. It's a life choice that every Christian must be a part of. They have to set moral boundaries. Because if you, um, what's the saying? If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you. Um, your, your, word, your word says that it's a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path, that we would not sin against you. God, I pray that we would follow that word. God, I pray, maybe there's someone here that tonight, they've not really set those moral boundaries, they've not really set those things in their life. Um, or maybe tonight, I think all of us can use this as a, a thought process of, you know, hey, do I have those things in place? And if I do have those things in place, um, I want to make sure that I'm not living as close as I can to them. I want to live my life in such a way that my focus isn't on my boundary, but it's on my king. And so, God, I pray that tonight you would help us with that thought. You would help us, God, uh, because this is an important thing.
Um, many people fall into sin because they've either moved the boundary, they've crossed it, or God, they just kind of live how the Word says that they live how they want to. And God, we can't do that. Uh, we got to live according to your Word. So put it deep inside of our hearts, we pray. Thank you, Lord, tonight. Bless us. Give us safe travel home and safe this, keep us safe this weekend. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.